So, Doc, how many times have you eaten at the Outback Steakhouse? <laughs> uh, I've, I've been known to tongue the blooming onion once or twice. <laughs> right, in, right in the cloaca. Dear Christ. It's doing a death roll. <laughs> so, uh, there was a bit of pre-roll conversation that happened where some exploits that, that may or may not be fit for public consumption were... <laughs> were shared and all I can say is to the people of Australia you were a prison colony but some of you it seems like are still going to be dealing with you know punishment of a carnal nature for quite some time going forward but still love the handcuffs (laughs) (laughs) or finger cuffs depending upon the story you told us but uh, all the way back uh Obviously, you know, for those who are paying attention, all three of you that are left, we we were not here last week, and so you have my sincerest apologies. Life sometimes finds a way, as Michael's so fond of saying, and uh, there's there's a lot of crazy circumstances happening for everybody these days, not uh, included that I... Unlike Doc, who can't be, you know, couth enough to not just cough all over the episode, I wanted to save you all from my phlegm and elected to tag out, and unfortunately that didn't carry on. But uh, we're back with you now. Yeah. Live and in living color. Ooh. I have a question, good actually. Show, something I show. meant to ask. Uh, pre-roll. I can't recall, because I mostly just binged the entire bat catalog when I was catching up. Uh, have you guys missed weeks before? Nope. Nary once. That was the first time in, you know, over 180 episodes. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll just go ahead and say that that was largely due to me. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to play Doc for a second here. And in all my vainglorious nonsense, we'll say, yeah, this is all all due to me and, and my stalwart attempts at keeping us live and in living color. No, that's... Michael was a very dedicated editor, and I'm sure if we had cut several other, you know, three to four hour epics into multiple parts, I think we we might have been able to probably build yeah. up a little accumulated time. But some <laughs> of us were very, very enthusiastic about the prospect of pre-rolling multiple weeks so that, you know, we'd have a buffer in case things like this happened. And then that we just kind of fell out of the habit due to uh, unfortunate circumstances. I'm not going to be slanderous. At least for another five minutes. But in any event, uh, not that that matters. And uh, speaking of invoking terrible names for other people by the eternal, <laughs> behold. behold, it is the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. And I'm, I'm Michael. Michael. Uh, usually I like to start with anecdotes or jokes or other things. And I feel like we got so much nonsense on the record before we technically started the episode that I'm I'm kind of at a bit of a loss at the moment. I was going to start having conversations about uh, Alexander and, and other nonsense. The The lead that I had into the show for Michael was, uh, have you seen All Quiet on the Western Front yet? No. I can't say I'm I have. disappointed. I know. Uh, yeah, neither have I. It, it is well worth watching, and not purely for the fact that I know I have a couple of uh, people who are titillated by history, and I don't just mean banging archaeologists. Uh, but I know I have folks very interested in history. I I forget so much about World War One specifically because it's just not often discussed and i think the travesty of world war ii and the body counts there uh tends to sort of cast a cloud or a pallor over all 
previous wars or choice of words for one <laughs> uh, thank you well i was going for mustard gas uh so yeah. <laughs> but it really does drive home how just the atrocities of trench warfare when you get to actually see it enacted mm. uh, they do some really marvelous the sound design is brilliant in this thing and it is one of the most creative scores that i have encountered and so when you when you watch the film i hope that's as impactful for y'all as it was for me but just even the the hints that they have in the trailer for the film made me want to watch the movie just because it was such an interesting sort of infectious score have you seen the previous uh, incarnations of the film I have not, uh, and it was. I never read the book. It was one of those things where you know I've it, had enough discussion about it previously, but I, I felt like visually it was very arresting. It's a stunning. It's really well done as far as a, a shot film, and uh, it was fantastic. And the fact that it's getting so much discussion for the Oscars, I feel like, is really interesting. Ooh, so okay. I'd heartily recommend it. But I felt like it also played into the prior discussions of, you know, the Russian revolution and uh, a czar that, that may or may not have been assassinated. And, and I feel like looking back at that time frame for all the circumstances at the end of world war one that occurred really interesting for discussions about the German peoples, I find, because, you know, they wound up fighting that war all by themselves by the time you get to the end <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, and they are an all amazing the things people i mean like you know, just mm. to think they were so for starters i mean like it, it is to your point of not really discussing world war one often it, it is kind of a shock in and of itself considering the great war itself only ended just over a hundred years ago mm -hmm. so it, you know there are literally people alive today that you know were alive you know while it was being fought it is shocking that you know it is it has fallen so far from like the cultural mind mm. but uh, in terms of the German people, it you know it is something to behold there because I mean like they they go and they fight World War One, and you know do an a, amazing job in terms of like being successful. I mean yes they ultimately lost, but they didn't they didn't actually like taking fight. on the world. Well, and they mm -hmm. didn't they didn't lose on their own soil. So at the end of it, they could you know the German people like didn't have a a war fought on their own soil, so they could kind of have that sense of betrayal. Like, we didn't actually lose because they didn't feel it at home. Uh, yeah. And they didn't start the war, technically, which makes it even yeah. more tragic. Oh, the dominoes of the trees and everything, yeah. Exactly, right. So it's like, you know, they didn't start everything, and then were they didn't start and the fire, to quote Billy Joel. just to be Joel. crippled yeah. and have, like, you know, the Weimar Republic, uh -huh. you know, agree to these reparations that would have, had they been continuing to be being paid, they would have gone into the 1980s. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, you don't have a military, you don't have an air force, you don't have a Navy, you owe all this money, you're completely crippled. People are literally wheelbarrowing uh, marks just to be able to buy like a, a thing of bread. It's a loaf and, of yeah. bread, yeah. And, <laughs> and to go from that, you know, in the aftermath of the, the Great War to two decades later, oh, we're ready to take the world on again. It's a world power, yeah. And damn near do it is just like, and then, and then again, get crippled. And, you know, after the fact, this time, make sure to, you know, bring the, the war uh, and the effect of the war to the German soil. So they really do realize, hey, this time you lost. Right. Yeah. And then we break them up. We cut them in half east, west. You know, we even take their capital city, split that one, too. And, you know, then again, like you know, half the country is crippled, you know, until my lifetime. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, they finally have reunification. And what happens now? They are the powerhouse of the EU. They're the ones that are like the financial backer behind it. They're the, the one, the, the major powerhouse in terms of, you know, money and everything. And it's like, God damn, like you cannot keep these people down. Added to which, you know, they are essentially paying reparations forward as a country in perpetuity for the atrocities that occurred during that time frame. Yeah. It's, and and get to live with that as part of the national consciousness where that's just dyed in the wool as who you are as a German is that, oh, yeah, the Nazis. It, it's just it's inexorably linked to who they are as a country, which is fascinating to and, have. But to then in other that. ways to be able to take it like and, and even, you know, kind of take the Democratic baton and run further with it than America does. Like, you know, you can be in America and you can fly a swastika on a flag here. And obviously your neighbors will be judged, you know, judge you and you'll, you know, people will know For you're a terrible reason. person, yeah. of course. Uh-huh. People will know you're a terrible person, but you can do it. Whereas you go to Germany, you fly the swastika flag and you're going to get arrested. And and so it's like, you know, damn, like, you know, in many ways, they they've even taken that baton and run further. And I think that that is uh, speaks incredibly highly of, of just the their work ethic, their diligence, you know, as a people, the and resiliency, the resiliency. Yeah. yeah. The fact that they kind of learned from their oopsies, their accidents from, you know, the World War Two and all that stuff. Like, I think that it's really interesting that they they still don't uh, allow people to identify in that way. And they teach that very importantly against the Nazi like ideologies. And that's not something that they really do here with like the, the Confederacy and all that stuff. I mean, I, I don't want to get I don't want to get too far afield with that because I feel but like. No, would, I, but... I think that was kind of the point I was going towards. Exactly. That, yeah, I, I agree. So one of the, the first uh, papers that I wrote when I was in college was discussing the transition into the National Socialist regime within Germany and thinking of the unemployment rate prior to that power taking over. It was something like 80 percent in the country. Yeah. And then suddenly when you create a war machine, you're able to kick everything up into motion. And they were a world power again within you know a two year period. It's absolutely fascinating. Mm. So the fact that you have this machine that's created and then all of the subsequent fallout from having a dictator, it's unfortunate. But if you had stopped short of, uh, you know, what Hitler was and the atrocities perpetrated, it would have been a ridiculously inspiring story to talk about how you had this nation that had completely fallen from power, that was impoverished, fighting amongst themselves. And the unfortunate caveat to put into that is that most of the people who had the wealth that was remaining in that were the people who were subsequently killed and had that stolen from them. Mm. It's just a fascinating study, but as a character study to think of what happened to the German people at the end of World War One, going into what precipitated World War Two even occurring, and the sort of national social conscience that existed to create the bedrock by which the National Socialist Party came to prominence is something that I don't think a lot of people consider. It's just we cast dispersions like how could this country be so easily duped and so easily led astray into, yeah, let's just, you know, throw people into internment camps and slaughter them en masse. Well, they weren't necessarily running around uh, throwing that into the propaganda machine of like, by the way, mass exterminations. 
But furthermore, they're also, when they're establishing power, they are bringing back, we want Germany to regain the austerity that we once had. We want to regain lands that we lost in this war that was not our fault. So all of these little things that sort of coax people down the rabbit hole, and we can see just even in recent American history Mm -hmm. how easily you can dupe people into following you down a particular rabbit hole if you are just convincing. And that man was not even a great orator. So if you take someone who has a bit of fire and brimstone that you can throw to get people riled up into a, a you know a nice teeming mass it's just fascinating and then to think about what we talked about previously what happened in Russia at the time that precipitated their involvement in the war and then they're getting out of the war and you've got czars that are falling and you have got kaisers that are leaving office like just it's an interesting bit of turmoil happening on the world stage that i think just gets completely passed over to looking at world war 2 so yeah and i agree and and like as much as world war 2 is a world war i feel like a lot of the effects that we still see even t- especially today are more of an effect of world war 1 I. I mean you have mm-hmm. the uh, sykes picot agreement that pretty much divided the middle east into mm-hmm. the political lines that we see today and that is one of the main reasons why there's a lot of conflict in the Middle East is because a bunch of stuffy, like stiffy white guys were like, you know, let's just divide everything by these lines that I drew on a map as opposed to the people that are actually there. And because that, that was a thing when the Ottoman Empire fell. And, and, and that was, yeah, I was yeah, thinking yeah. about that, not to interrupt you. No, but no, no, you're fine. They, in reading back, because I wanted to refresh my memory because it's been so long since I even read anything about World War One. That they were talking about that fighting occurred in the Middle East. And I'm like, how the hell did that even happen? How did that transpire that you have this starting over here completely on, you know, the in the the east side of Europe? And then all of a sudden we've spilled over over there and you're like, OK, well, yes, we have the Ottoman Empire that got brought in with, you know, the Czech Republic as it is now. And, uh, you know, Slovakia, etc., getting embroiled in these things. And you're like. You just don't think of the ramifications of how one assassination broils out into all these other things because everybody was already kind of at a precipitous tipping point to begin with, and then everything just kind of falls in on itself. Just needed a single domino. It's yeah. fascinating, mm-hmm. really interesting. So I, I know it's something we don't often have the opportunity to chat about, but I wondered why we didn't hit that in the episode when we're talking about Russia. But again, well, we'd have this conversation. Even, it's so interesting because it's not just the falling of the dominoes uh, you know it has Mm -hmm. to be that kind of perfect timing of everything too because this is you know in a situation if if something like that was to happen today everybody is aware of the technological advances that have happened with modern warfare that even if you had these treaties you'd have some backing out people like well you know kind of uh, hemming and hawing and finding a way to kind of back their way out of it Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah whereas at the time you have these treaties, but these treaties are largely already having kind of been, you know, started to, you know, form in the 1880s, 1890s with, you know, after Bismarck had left mm-hmm. and these and these protective treaties coming on in which, you know, warfare was still like, you know, on horseback. And, and yeah, and still so, almost gentlemanly. Of sorts. Yeah. And so you could yeah. you could have these treaties of like, OK, well, you know, if you go to war, we'll, we'll back you up and, and then let these dominoes fall without the modern mindset of, oh, this is going to mean tanks and trenches and millions and millions of deaths so these treaties are designed in in, you know in a way that was fighting last year's war and not the current war and i find that so interesting just because you do have that confluence of of 
you know, uh, political affairs that, that result in the war itself, but also it only continued to escalate and all the dominoes were allowed to fall just because we were right at that stage of like airplanes are just now coming out. Tanks are just now getting developed. So it's like all of this stuff is really just happening that nobody really has a clue what war actually looks like. Yeah. And it's funny. That's one one of the aspersions that are cast at the, the Polish uh, for, you know, attacking tanks with horses. And you're like, they had nothing else. There wasn't another option. So, like, what are you going to do? Run at it on foot? Yeah. Which, you know, it, it's it's no more or less imbecilic. But and then I was thinking about you blame a lot of the movement into modern warfare and quote unquote guerrilla warfare or guerrilla fighting on the United States. Because, you know, that we're fighting the the Brits and we are not lining up to let them just, you know, exterminate us wholesale. It's like, no, we're going to sneak in behind them and uh, we'll lay in wait and ambush people and, and break the rules of engagement and not have gentlemanly combat. Like, as far as my recollection goes. So uh, just fun things to think about. Michael, I see your, your brain is turning. Well, because, like, Europe hadn't really had a major war since the Crimean War about... 50, 60 years, 70 years before, uh, most of the major wars that happened outside, they happened outside of Europe. You had, like, the Boxer Rebellions in China. You had the Civil War in the United States. You had, you know, the Boer Wars in the early, uh, the late uh, 1890s, uh, early uh, 1900s. Most of the major conflicts that occurred were outside of Europe. So when people were you know rubbing their hands ready to be like all right let's use some new technology they didn't really expect like oh it's these big powers that are equally or at least close equally matched uh fighting against each other uh whereas like most like britain uh france a lot of the colonials they were just doing colonial powers uh colonial warfare where they were just like all right, well, you know, these people that don't have as much technology as us, they're fighting in some distant land. We can send some people Yeah, you people can out. roll them over. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and you're not even learning the lessons from your neighbors as well, though, because like yeah. Russia, this massive colonial power that was one of Europe's strongest, uh, had only recently gotten their ass kicked by the Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and, yet, and yet you don't learn that lesson. And, and to pause and reflect, well, how the hell could Jap- Japan take out russia and win win. how could that happen oh maybe it's got to do with modern technology and like oh shit if we apply that to a more global scale this could get bad quick maybe we should scale back Mm -hmm. but uh but it is it's just such a, a fascinating time with so much that was just changing all at once i mean like you know we're exploring like air you know, travel and 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 really taking off there movies are just really you know becoming a major thing and uh and even like you know finally getting used as like propaganda with uh Ooh, that's an even good point yeah that's another mm-hmm. good point right because uh yeah do you like t- i don't even know if talkies were a thing like that were mass produced yet but like no, even weren't. so they yeah i think it was like the the 20s yeah, yeah but you had the yeah, birth yeah. of a nation but, which but was like yeah, a, just a yeah, pure yeah. propaganda i think film, uh, and that's like 1914 it? or something like that the mm-hmm. great train heist or the great train getaway or something like that the was great like train robbery yeah, or something yes yeah, yeah. yeah that was like uh 1899 or something to that effect um so they still had yeah movies and they had projectors so you could still do a lot of propaganda and i think like that's another important thing that people don't really understand about world war one was that this was one you can really uh dig into the nationalist idea of your of your state you know, like what it meant to be British, when it meant to be French or German or 
Austro Hart. Uh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, not not that one. But uh, but the other ones. You know, Russian. What it meant to be Russian. You know, the other those other like big nation states that had a more uh, cultural identity as opposed to like the ones that fell apart, like uh, the Ottoman Empire and the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Right. You could really dig into that and have people ask themselves, "Well, I am." You know, what does it mean to be British? Well, that means to give to the war effort. That means to go run into uh, a machine gun because the guy that's telling you to do so hasn't fought a war uh, aside from, you know, subjugating natives in, you know, whatever far off flung land uh-huh. like for the last well, 30 years. So and and part of that national identity being tied up with your leader. I mean, like in the States, yes, you had a president that's elected, but, you know, largely the world was still ruled by emperors and kings and and whatnot and so and that was even like you know britain their monarchy although severely weakened compared to what it once was was uh, not quite the figurehead that it is today Mm. and then obviously the ottoman empire and you know emperor you know austria uh, austria and hungary uh, the German and, and Empire, the, you know, you uh, had the, the Kaisers, yeah, or the exactly. Kaisers, the Kaisers yes, are around, still, the yep, Tsars still Nicholas, around, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So you could tie up that, yeah, as depicted in the film. That you know they have generals who are sitting up in a mansion, having food catered to them, and they are sending men out into battle who have not had solid rations, and telling them up until you know not to spoil, but I'm sure this is something that's known that still had them going and fighting up until the eleven o'clock ceasefire. Yep. And sending them back or out into with the field. Russia, like you know, go out in there. You know, you don't have a gun yet. Just wait for yeah, somebody else up to somebody die. And pick up their gun. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, what horrific advice that would be. Can you imagine being part? First of all, I would never be part of an army, anyways. Right. I'm far too chicken shit, and I don't believe in any sort of like outside of World War II. I don't think there's been a war that I would feel like was a noble or justified cause. right let's yeah justified but but i couldn't imagine you know joining an army and being like okay let's you know give it for king and country and then yeah yeah i don't have a weapon for you but uh somebody out there is gonna die when you see him fall just pick that one up and be like okay boss let's <laughs> and- go like to Michael's point, talking about nationalism, like a large portion of these empirical sort of wars are you going out subjugating other people who don't have the means to actually fight a, a realistic resistance? And then you have naval warfare, which is completely disparate from, you know, any of the folks who are living in the, the homeland. You don't see these things, it's not on your soil, it's just something happening in the far off. So, yes. Spain, there's a, a French armada, and the and the Spaniards are firing cannonballs at each other. But that's not really rocking you where you live. So now, when you're talking about just digging up large areas of France and establishing these you know trenches for everybody to just start hurling poisonous gas at one another, and think of the fallout of the surrounding areas and people running in and laying siege to local farms and things like it's fascinating to see the reverberations of this where it actually does start to affect people living in that country. And you do have to have a sense of national pride at that point to be like, Hey, they are completely sullying our homes, destroying the area where we live and we have to fight back or else you see what the fallout is. There are actual repercussions to this as opposed to, Oh, somebody else's home somewhere got torn up because we decided to invade them. It's a little bit different. So really interesting melange of circumstances in the world at that time to cause that war. Impacts from the war. I mean, something we haven't touched on in this conversation, but the very country in which we live in 
didn't really become the major world economic superpower that it is today until after World War One, yeah. just because of all the because we got to, we got to stay out of it yep. largely, <laughs> and and all the great powers in the world were just devastated as a result. Right, Britain goes into this the world superpower. Mm-hmm. And then leaves a shadow of its former self, still able to you know be a great power. But then by the end of World War II, that's you know gone for them tired. too. And we're reaping the yeah. whirlwind, basically. Yeah, yeah, and you know same thing like with you know the rest. Germany gets crippled, Russia gets crippled. You know Britain walks away, but a shadow of its former self. Whereas the states gets to emerge like unscathed and a world superpower. And from there we took it and ran, even though not everybody agreed with it. And a lot of inventive minds at the start of the Industrial Revolution, as we know, with, you know, packaged foods that we were sending off and things like that. Yeah, there's a lot of really fascinating... uh, And the advent of what would become the United Nations. Yeah. With the League of Nations, you know, starting to form there. As a necessity, Uh, because, you know, Canada was not invading us at the time. So... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Not prepared for that. But your southern border was still open and people just flooding uh, it. You know, I do love that that is something, and I think we've talked about the on this show, that like we've omitted from the histories in, in the United States that, you know, the, the Canadians came and ransacked the White House and oh, yeah, were yeah. able to do so and then just peaceably walk back out and say, like, by the way, we're not going to rape, pillage, or set fire to anything else on our way out. We're just making a statement stay in your lane behave a little bit and just comport yourselves with a little more dignity really fascinating it's just never taught i have never heard that oh yeah because of the american educational system because that's not american exceptionalism we right we tried to invade canada and canada's like whoa hold on a second Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. You best go sit down. We're going to show you a little bit of something. And there's still some very angry Frenchmen with their fingers on the button who are more than willing to send us some funds. So <laughs> we can we can manage this for a little while. But uh, so anyway, I, I figured we could lean into the fact that, you know, we've got some folks that are very pleased and tickled by history on this podcast and, and get a little bit of uh, content out of it. So there you go. But I would heartily recommend you both watch that movie. It's well worth the expended time. And it's uh, a fascinating film, heartrending, and probably I would hope uh, holds up the legacy of the prior filmic iterations or the, the book itself. See, that's why I like this podcast, because on this podcast, we can talk about everything, everywhere, all at once. I thought you were going to make some joke about the imperial uh, reverberations of all of this enmity, the rage, the chaos. And yet now we've reached a state where a a Canadian boy and an Australian woman can have passionate, passionate love, all based on a, a love of bones. Yep. See, you're circling back to pre-roll conversations. I was trying to spin off your all, you know, quiet on the Western Front Oscar talk. Mm -hmm. And since we were kind of wrapping up the World War talk, I was trying to spring in another movie so we can pitch off that and go elsewhere. And I took you out back. And that's right. You can have my blooming onion in. Uh, I have not seen everything uh, everywhere all at once uh, or whatever the hell that, uh, you know. I think you uh, got the title right, yeah. It's quite good. It's quite good. I heard uh, it has been greatly uh, aggrandized to me by a number of my colleagues, so I will have to investigate. Yeah, I have to. I have to see All Quiet on the Western Front. I also still need to see uh, Top Gun Maverick. Ironically, I had never seen the original Top Gun. Same. And then when Top Gun Maverick came out, and it was all the rage, I was like, okay, I've got to, you know. I got to check this out. So I went and watched the original Top Gun in preparation to watch Maverick, mm. 
really enjoyed Top it's great Gun. thought it was a gr- yeah thought it was a great film very much enjoyed it and then just never got around to maverick okay it's campy uh it's one of again like you don't hear a lot about tony scott just uh being the quote-unquote the lesser of the scott brothers he did an excellent job with that film it is campy in all the right ways it's entertaining it's action-oriented I found Maverick very entertaining as well. It has that same sort of feel that Return of the the first Star Wars uh, episode eight. Oh no, that's the, Last Jedi. The JJ was it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. The Return of Skywalker, I think, was the ninth okay. one. Yeah, so Last yeah. Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has that same sort of feel of like we're paying homage to a lot of the things that had happened in the prior film, and we kind of have echo sequences uh, throughout that. Force Awakens is what I was thinking of, sorry. Oh, from um, number seven. Okay. okay. Yes, sorry. My brain. Welcome to the club, my kids. Brain. Uh, my brain. My brains. My eyes. <laughs> what am I, Zach Bagans? So, yeah, those were the other things I watched today. Uh, hearkening back to another topic that had been on the show previously, I wanted to see how angry I could get Michael. I anticipated this being a, a duet as opposed to, uh, you know, our, our trio here. I mean, but, uh, we've... I, Sorry to crash the party. No, bit. you're fine. Uh, so I was watching uh, a really horrible Amazon documentary about a haunting that was investigated by uh, police in, in a general area, and that spilled over into the uh, Zach Bagans documentary that he did on the Demon House of Gary, Indiana. And I know we had had lengthy discussions about spiritual energy and how much it peeves our, uh, our friendly neighborhood physicist here. Uh, so I, I had a chuckle at just watching folks badly attempt to stage spectral activity. It, the documentary I watched, um, it's like the haunting of Gary Avenue or some random nonsense here. It's like it's the there's only 12 of them. Gary, it's so Gary stupid. <laughs> Uh, the Demon House one was at least entertaining because Zach Bagans knows enough to be hyperbolic to a fault. But this other crew is like, they're all just deadpan the least charismatic people you'd ever want to see trying to report on all these things. And they did the hokiest, r- most ridiculous sort of like ghost scares that you can have in a paranormal investigation of the, uh, in the kitchen as they're talking about how a knife, when someone was using a, uh, a Ouija board, which they called a witch board. <laughs> I it's mean, like, that's no how you one's ever. It. It's like no one has ever called it that. It's like it's also known as a witch board. It's like no, it's, it's called a, doc, a talking board or a demon board. I've never heard anybody call it a witch board. But they're trying to make the oh, it's a witch lady across the street who had cursed this house. So that's it's a witch board. That's why. So they're talking about a steak knife that flew up out of the knife block and flew across the room. And as they're saying that, there's a giant grate that falls out of the wall across the room behind them. So of course they have the big noise that they get to pan to and like, oh, look at that and like oh the pictures on the wall have been turned upside down and i'm like you haven't even gone the lengths that people do on television programming to say we have all of our crew outside of the house reporting where their locations are to say that it's not them very obviously pulling on a string to help dislodge these things and make them fall down or make up these manufactured like oh we saw a ghost apparition crawl into the window and then it's someone very obviously just walks in front of the window and goes, <laughs> and then walks away <laughs> 
and they have all these cameras set up and they're all blurry and out of focus and so you can't make sense of anything happening it's like these are hd cameras this is 2023 friend if you can't get a fucking straight image of these things as they're happening like you're doing something wrong that's why i want to see bigfoot and the loch ness monster uh-huh see some like you know, let's see some quality footage of these guys let me enhance it enhance that shit Oh, fuck, like, yeah, they could do that in Blade Runner, but you can't manage it in 2023. It's like, yeah, in, in 1972, when someone's running around with a handheld camera, I get grainy footage, but yeah, yeah not these days. No. So uh, it just, it gave me a nice chuckle where I was like, I'm sure that Michael, our, our friendly neighborhood physicist, is just going to be irate that anyone is still having discussions about, uh, oh, there's residual energy in the house. It's a haunting. Uh, but that's why the that's why the cameras were, you know, out of focus, because the residual uh-huh. energy messed with the electronics within the camera, and that's why the lens apparently didn't work, so you can have some very terribly edited, you know, ghost just like, wah! <laughs> Uh, in the Demon House documentary as well, they did have a section where they were claiming that Zach Bagans was giving off more uh, physical energy output, like he actually was uh, exuding a jewel's worth of energy, <laughs> causing one of these devices they have to read in the red, because he had absorbed this spiritual energy and was radiating oh. from his person. It's like, a human being makes like one, uh, one millionth of this amount of power, and he's just reading this energy. It's like, oh my god. He's about to go Super Saiyan. I mean, he is pretty attractive. He could give off. He could give off a jewel of physical uh, the energy. The sad thing is book. that it also, as he's doing <laughs> this, he's he's miming that he's been possessed by this goat demon, right? And so he's like, and then here's the moment where, and of course, you've heard Zach Bangus before, so he's just like this dead, you know, toneless, inflectionless. At this moment, I thought that I was going to attack Jerry. And you watch him, and he's literally in camera going, (laughs) (sighs) and then backs off. He's like, and I stopped myself because I knew I might hurt him. And I'm like, oh, my God. If you're possessed by an entity, you are not having rational thought of, like, I might creepily, you know, sneak up behind this gentleman and strangle the life out of him like I'm a Nosferatu villain (laughs) doing the creepy Sims stance behind him Uh, like oh my god these things hurt my brain but I can't stop watching them beautiful it's like candy have you seen either of the ghost series the BBC one or the Paramount Plus I have not watched it yet but it looks intriguing yeah they're quite funny Uh, I started with the uh, Paramount Plus, the American version, uh, and then checked out the BBC one. In truth, uh, I would just pick one or the other and then skip and skip okay. to the next season because, like the the American one is practically shot for shot. Like having having watched the oh. American one, I was like, oh, this is really funny. Like you know, I'd love to go check out the BBC one. And then it was like, oh, it's all the same jokes. Like it was literally the exact same thing. I was like, oh, I'm not actually. They just lifted yeah, it. Yeah, and I was oh, like, okay. Oh, okay, it was funny the first time. And I know that I'm watching the original version, so this should be the like the one I'm like, yeah. But now I'm like, oh, I'm over it because I've already seen it. <laughs> like so, I, I knew the next beat coming. So I was like, oh, okay, they didn't like you know change it in any way. They they might for season two. I didn't uh, bother to invest deeper into that. But at any rate, it definitely worth checking out one or the other because they're both quite good. I always thought it was um, weird the Americans kept talking about tea and crumpets, and it was just very odd. <laughs> have you had a crumpet, by the way? Have we discussed this no, previously? I've, 
Have we talked about what? Oh, crumpets are okay. delightful. Crumpets are delicious I, with a little bit of apricot jam. Oh, oh I'm just a straight good. butter on on a crumpet kind of cat oh, myself. Oh no, I need a little like apricot jam or maybe some like fig. Oh. Remember, sweet and savory don't mix with me. Uh, I. I finally had a brownie up here that was a bacon brownie, and Courtney's not listening to this, but on the off chance that she ever discovers, they had big chunks of bacon on this brownie, Ooh. and it it really threw me off, because all of a sudden I just have this fatty piece of bacon at the end, where I was like, even when it was crisp, it kind of just jarred me, where I liked the flavor. So I will stand corrected in saying that the two should never meet. It was very tasty, but at the same time, as a textural thing for me, I was like, oh, Oh, what's oh, happening? Oh, no. I turned into Adam West oh. again. Like, oh. Oh, no. Save me, old chum. <laughs> There's bacon on this brownie. Oh, the Joker must have gotten me with another feisty yeah, I don't know fiend. If bacon and brownie. I mean, well, bacon goes on donuts well. I just, I think a brownie's too dense for it. It was tasty. Uh, just, I, I wish that they had used something like Bako bits or something that would have had a little more crunch as opposed to that's, making me rubber fair. chew yeah, like- it. Yeah, yeah, like when when you want bacon in something that's like a pastry of that, you you want it to just no fat. Yeah. Yes. Just like just pure, yeah. Um I will say that I used to when I was in college living in the dorms, uh you get to make your own. I had a waffle iron that you get to make at in the the make stuff with. Uh-huh. I would always pour bacon into it uh because I didn't go by the rules. I didn't like using just pure, you know, batter. Okay. Uh, so I would always have my waffles with bacon in it. So just, just, uh, just to drive that home, like I think that it's an okay thing to mix those two. Um, put a little bit of maple syrup on top, but well, a waffle is not inherently sweet. That, like a that's waffle, fair. Like I could. So if you if you aren't like a sweet and savory person, you know, adding bacon to your waffle doesn't mm. necessarily make it a sweet dish. Now, if you go and put on the maple syrup or like whipped cream and all that jazz, then yes, you've gone into that territory. But you could like just do the waffle bacon, some eggs on it, or something like mm-hmm. that, and it could be more of a savory dish than anything. And you know, people love throwing uh, waffles and chicken together, so oh, yeah. obviously there's a precedent here. But and this man made crepes for a living, Ooh. so he should know. L- listen, a spinach and feta crepe with some chicken. Oh, Ooh. Tell oh yeah. yeah, I okay. don't disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like you know, that, that's what I was saying. Like waffles in that same vein are kind of like a, a more neutral. True. That, like, I mean, there is sugar in the batter, though. It's not quite pancake level, but they 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 well, are getting yeah. A but I mean, by that them, logic, but... I mean there's sugar in bread as well. But you know, nobody yeah argues and that. biscuits yeah. But nobody argues that those are savory items. Breaded chicken is an abomination. But <laughs> uh, well, Michael, I will say, if you have not had the opportunity to have, uh, you know, float over to a Trader Joe's, they actually do have crumpets. Uh, and it is a world of difference between a crumpet and an English muffin. Oh, okay. Uh, it is a dramatic textural difference, and you will thank me for it. Okay. So since since you mentioned Trader Joe's and you name-dropped Courtney just a bit ago, I do, on the off chance she listens to this, I just want to express my disappointment that on a recent you know bit of her own podcast, they had a conversation mm-hmm. regarding grocery stores. Uh-oh. And, uh, and H-E-B did not get mentioned at all. Yeah. <gasps> And I think oh, if, you're, the heb. If, you're having, yeah, if you're having a conversation about, you know, really like strong grocery stores and H-E-B doesn't come up into the conversation, you know, you, you need to reevaluate 
I don't know if they exist in Phoenix. Oh, it doesn't matter. They're na- but everybody knows the head. They're the nationally ranked number everybody one. Everybody knows the head. But nationally ranked number one. They're, they they don't exist in Florida, and yet they sent out trucks down there for the hurricanes to help out and stuff. Like H-E-B. People they bring swarmed it. them. Yeah. I miss oh. like H-E-B. No longer having one down the road. I it it it's it's heartbreaking. I I found you know that I I can find pretty much the same thing almost everywhere. So I'm I'm just looking for the cleanliness of the store. But uh, since we're here and we're doing that plug, if you haven't listened, <laughs> go check out Love Food Hate Money. It's great podcasts. It's very well done. Uh, they're very entertaining and engaging folks. And that if you've missed Courtney, you can find her there. She's off doing better things with more entertaining people. But uh, yeah, I well, I don't know about better things. I mean, we just talked about H E B. I didn't hear H E B on her. So rough. Uh, just Easy. kidding, Courtney. Love you. Damn. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I'm the Ooh. one that brought it up. Clearly, I listen. Clearly, I'm a fan. There's a uh, <laughs> there's a place up here called New Seasons, which I am Ooh. very thrilled by. It is kind of it's a a classed up version of sprouts for, so, for me here very so well what done. seasons are they like you know exemplifying are they catering towards like because it's not just normal old seasons correct it's pluflunger that is okay. you know it's the space that's kind of between uh you know fall and winter is okay. kind of a brief breath before you start going into the plunge and getting the snowfall okay i see that all right so yeah the laflunger they have some really wonderful breakfast treats that they serve during that Uh, a farfar kegel is is probably (laughs) one of the best ones it involves an australian archaeologist and some meat Mm -hmm. and uh you know you you wrap it up into a tight bun and it's just mm, savory and sweet all at once and i don't normally go for that and it's aged Age to Fine. perfection. And seasoned. Wow. Let's note. Very well That's seasoned. That's right. My Cub Scout is pitching a tent in my speedos. Fucking hell. Time. If I <laughs> hear it no Cub more. Scout, please. I don't want any. <laughs> it, was... <laughs> I... it was a lyric. I was. It was a callback. I'm also going to throw out that we have not said the word up, and I have to qualify it to say the joke, but we haven't said the word cherry once on this show thus far, and I have never been so happy. Although now we do have to quickly tie in and just say for those, you know, tuning in with eager anticipation for, you know, the final I.E.U. Part, uh, yeah. The return <laughs> of the cherry pop and daddies. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I know it. There's at least one other person out there because they commented on the YouTube. Uh, True, they did. Well, they commented so, on the first episode, so. not the subsequent seven. So we'll see whether or not they <laughs> stuck around. But uh, but uh, but uh, cherry pop and daddies will be coming back. It's just, uh, you know, pun as, intended as, it, <laughs> as uh, obvious by last week's uh, kind of missing episode. And then. Uh, you know, which is some of the kind of the format. Yeah. And then today being a, a bit of a, uh, a, a different time from our normal schedule, uh, it is a, a kind of freewheeling here, but we'll get back on track for the final conclusion of the cherry pop and daddies, or we won't. And we'll just leave everybody hanging. Uh-huh. I I'm perfectly we're, fine with leaving. A hanging. We're not, uh, we're not, a, we haven't done. It's not like we haven't done that before. You make yeah, a fine point. Where's the Elron <laughs> Hubbard part two that I've been waiting for. I for do all have this that time. written. I don't want to present it. I don't blame you. <laughs> could, could also just never have a doc back here. <laughs> and then it also wouldn't be the first time you've had hosts just, you know, suddenly disappear. You make a five oh, point. God, yeah. You're right, too. Oh, fuck. Some people just drop off the face of the earth without uh, yeah. a word spoken. Oh, That's geez. right. One episode they're here, and the next, what happened? Well, as <laughs> a Lord High Charlie of ghosting, I 
can't say that I blame them. But, uh, well, I believe that is going to wrap things up for us here this evening on another soul-stirring ghost adventure, if you will. <laughs> Zach Bacons, please do not sue. But for the Lord of Ghosting and the Lords of All Media, wait, there's another trademark I'm infringing upon. Uh, for those of us here at the Disinformed Podcast, we thank you for being here as always. If you have enjoyed the show, there are ways you can convey that to us. Uh, of course, we would love it if you would like, subscribe, rate, and review. We would love to hear from you. And uh, whenever you engage, Michael uh, gets his wings. It's a delightful <laughs> time for all involved parties. Oh, there is a link in the show notes below that is going to take you to all of our irrelevant socials if you're looking to find us there. And we'll also help you to subscribe because we got new episodes winging your way every lovely Monday morning. And we will also have an After Dark this week where we explore the joys of the teaser trailer for All Quiet on the Western Front so you can go and observe that there on our the tubes of you which we're very fond of and we love immensely so go check us out over there but i think that is going to draw things to their final conclusion if you will and so for the disinformed podcast this week i'm shane and, and i'm michael, michael. <laughs> and zippity zoop we're out of here